All right, and we're rolling. Hooray. I am so sorry about the start that we had well, to this podcast. Absolutely I, fine. I get so embarrassed when things don't work properly, and uh, I feel very unprofessional. <laughs> so, um, again, my apologies, and I, I thank you for being so cooperative with me. Yeah, of course. Um, TK, mm-hmm. how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. So. Um, again, thank you for doing this. Uh, now... Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Are you from the Lansing area, um, born and raised here? I was um, originally born in Flint and then moved to Lansing. So Michigan oh. raised. Uh, Move it closer to your, your okay. face. Um, Michigan resident my whole life. Okay. Just bounced around a little. Do you like it here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having visited several other states, I, I like Michigan. Yeah? It's, what states did you visit? Um, I have been to... Ohio, Pennsylvania, oh gosh, let's see, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, Kentucky, and Hawaii. Ah, so mostly the East Coast, yeah. and then you went to Hawaii, yeah. and you still think Michigan's better mm-hmm. than I Hawaii. I do. <laughs> um, Why is that? I am not a big fan of the heat. But you like snow <laughs> and the cold? I do like snow. I do like snow. Oh, I hate the snow. Yeah, I'm not a it. fan of humidity or heat. I like <laughs> cold and dry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I. So I'm from Florida. So mm-hmm. the like the cold weather bothers yeah. me. I don't like it. it makes oh. me angry. <laughs> like I guess not angry, but like if I'm walking into work, um, like in the mornings, mm-hmm. like I have to walk in at like five o'clock, f- or I guess like I guess like six o'clock, six 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 thirty ish area, you know. And it's a long walk, and it's brisk, mm-hmm. and the cold air is hitting your face, and it just makes me angry. Yeah. Like I don't. But want it's it. only temporary, and I find that for eight it's months. Easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I find that it's easier to warm up than to cool down. Mm. That's true. That is so true. You need just like some extra hot cocoa or spiced apple cider or some coffee. Coffee too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I drink coffee. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could survive without coffee, caffeine <laughs> at all. No, no. I had two, three cups of coffee today alone. Yeah. I'm not going to disclose how much <laughs> caffeine I've had today. Um, and you've been sitting here patiently waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do you feel? Are, are you nervous to do the podcast? Um, It's a little, it is a little uh, nerve wracking um, just because I am not a person who likes to go out and be public Mm. but i was like you know this is a really great opportunity to talk about what we do um in a way that a lot of people can see because a lot of people don't see what i'm doing at two three o'clock in the morning when they're all asleep yeah i mean why would they see that yeah (laughs) and it's just uh, a different avenue to you know raise awareness yeah absolutely that's why i love podcasts Mm -hmm. because literally you can talk about so many different things and bring awareness to so many different things like Mm -hmm. i've had so many people on that like uh was it last week or yeah i think it was last week i interviewed this lady who's bringing awareness to um chronic pain Mm -hmm. and uh you know i've interviewed other people and it's i don't know it's just real interesting because like podcasts are like the new media in a sense it's a it's a way to like to get what you're doing out there right it's interesting. Yeah. And for for me, I ha- spend a lot of time in my car. Mm. So driving or sitting. Um, so I f- 
fluctuate between like doing um, like a word search or a crossword or listening to the radio or a podcast. So it's a great way to just keep up on things. Yeah. I have a lot of downtime. So what made you want to move from Flint to Michigan? Or I mean, um, not Michigan, Lansing. <laughs> we obviously live in Michigan. Um, I just <laughs> bounced around a lot as a kid. Um, I was in and out of foster care. Really? So so was I. Yeah. Oh, not in and out, but I was in yeah. foster care. Yeah. So uh, I ended up here in the Lansing area and I just never left. Okay. So were you in foster care the whole time you were growing up? Um, no, just um, collectively through second through sixth grade. Mm. So how was that experience? It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's not a really good way to um, say like, oh, it was great. Yeah, no, it was yeah. it was really awful. Um, there was a lot of things that were going on, um, and I look back now as an adult, looking at those things that kind of happened, I go, oh, yeah, those adults should have done better, or they should have done, so if I was an adult in that situation, I would have done something completely different. Was it something like, um, with the fo- type of foster homes you were in, um, or like, like the, like the agency you guys were going through? Um, a little bit of both, um. I was in foster care um, during the same time that uh, Ricky Holland was, mm. and I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, his name or his story. That's a kid from Williamson, right? Yeah. Yeah, that got murdered by his yeah. mom. Yeah. Um, and one of our one of the foster homes that I was in, um, they would do announced surprise inspections, so they would be like, "Oh, we're coming on Friday at 3 p.m." Yeah. So. On Friday at 3 p.m., I was primped and polished and, you know, prepped and you say this and only this and the issues that were going on in that home. That caseworker never saw it um, because they knew that she was coming. That is, um, it's it's almost like you listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is one thing that I talk about, especially, I think I talked about it in like my episode where I share my story. Um, is that's my, one of my number one problems with the foster care agents or with the foster care system is mm-hmm. whenever there's like allegations against, uh, foster parents, they, they let them know like a, a week in advance, Hey, we're coming out on this day yeah. and we're investigating this situation. So it allows them time to prepare a story and for you to, for them to tell you, Hey, uh, you better tell them this. Otherwise this is going to happen. Yeah. And like for me, it was like you better tell them this, otherwise they're going to take you from the home and separate you from your brother. Yeah. Do you, you don't want to be separated from your brother, do you? Yeah. And no, of course I don't. So yeah, I'm going to lie. Um. So I was separated from my brothers, and mm. I was placed in one particular foster home by myself, and so they used visitation as leverage. Wow. So if you don't say this and you don't do this, then you can't see them. And there were times where I would go months without seeing my family. Wow. And and they allowed uh, that. Because I they would be like, oh, she's sick, or, you know. You would think at a certain yeah. point they'd be they like, would say, hey, you what's know. going on? Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was not great. And I don't think there's a single person who can say that foster care is a great experience. Even, even if you have the best foster parents, you still have trauma around that. Yeah. Because well, you're separated yeah 
This episode is brought to you by Red Bike Delivery. This delivery service operates only using battery-powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new houseplants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one Earth. A lot of people don't realize the, um, like the shame that goes with it too. Cause like, I remember for me when I started, like when I went into foster care and then I started going to school, it was like mid midway through the year. So people are like, where'd you come from? And I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm in foster care. Yeah. Foster care. Why are you in foster care? Your mom or your dad must be a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, and then, you know, obviously then now you're the, you're that person. You're the, you're the outcast essentially. Um, when I was in third grade, uh, I got put in a, in a class and the teacher, I mean, she was really, really nice. And she was like, here's DK and, um, she's our foster student for mm-hmm. the class. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're a class pet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it was, I was always really, really shy as a kid. Um, and even now like social anxiety, I'm like, mm, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so being um, basically put on display yeah um, in the front of the class and I was like, no I would just rather sit in the back and <laughs> not have nobody acknowledge me yeah yeah that was something that like I got real comfortable not telling people um, about my story because I remember like when I was in high school I was telling somebody um, like we were working in this group I think it was a forensic science class so we had like a group of four people that we worked with and then we just get to talking about, you know, who we are and whatnot. And I remember telling this girl like about my past and um, some of the things I was going through at the time too. And she's like, that is so crazy because she's like, I look at you and I would think that you like have a normal, like you're a normal person. I'm like, and that stuck with me like mm-hmm. to this day. Cause I'm like, I was putting on this like fake facade essentially. So people looked yeah. at me differently because I didn't want to be looked at as like the other, yeah. I didn't want to be othered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's something that a lot of foster kids do because they're kind of ashamed because there's like a shame around around that. Right. Yeah. And I I do the same thing. Um, Some some of my really good friends that I have told bits and pieces of my story to um, they've been shocked. And, you know, I always get that. Oh, you're the strongest person I know. (laughs) And I I have a really hard time with that compliment because I shouldn't have to have gone through those things. Mm. Um, so it's kind of one of those compliments. But do you that, think that um, that going through some of those things made you a better person and like, like essentially going through fire, like iron mm-hmm. sharpens iron? Yeah, I think that it was, um, it definitely molded me into the person that I am today. And it allowed me to have a different perspective that most people might not have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, being said, I don't really think I would have wanted to go through all of yeah. those things. Um, I don't think anybody would want to. No, but it's it's that, uh, for me, it's I question all the time because people ask, well, if you had a time machine and you could go back, would you do it? Would you save yourself? And probably, but if I had to go through those things to become the person that I am today, I... I would probably be there and say, here's, here's some moral support. You're going to get through this. You're going to survive. Yeah. Um, but 
that being said, everybody has, even the most perfect nuclear family still has issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just some people have more trauma than others. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a, it's just a very um, spectrum type of thing because uh, some people have really, really great experiences in foster care, but they were still in foster care. Mm, yeah. So it, the perception is that it's very shameful. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I mean, it's shameful because of everything that's wrapped around it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like for one, um, which I hate too, is the stereotypes of, Oh, you're in foster care. Like you're going to end up in jail or you're going to end up as this or that. And, that's what bothers me because I'm like, I'm none of that. Like, you know, like you don't have to be those things. You don't have to be defined by an umbrella Mm -hmm. of, of different, you know, like different things. It, it, that bothers me. Yeah. And that is, um, it just goes to show the lack of, um, support for once you age out of the system, there's no support. It's like, all right, you're 18 and Mm -hmm. you've been in foster care your whole life. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. And I, thankfully, like, I was able to get put back with my family. Um, But even then, there's still that stigma of, you know, you had this go wrong and this go wrong and this go wrong. And the statistics are that, you know, teen pregnancy and addiction and all of those things. and Jail. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to make anything of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why even try? And when you have people who have all of that around them and that's the only um support circle that they have and are these people telling them that you're never going to be anything Mm -hmm. it's very easy to slip into that mentality of okay so why even try yeah yeah why try Mm -hmm. um i had my uh my adopted mom she always told me you're never going to amount to anything Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me, like, my whole life. I mean, not so much anymore, but um, it used to be one of those things where, like, I would use it as motivation because I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to prove her wrong. Like, I'm not going to be what she thinks I'm going to be. And Or, like, she would throw the stereotypes of, like, oh, you're going to go to jail or you're going to be – because my dad wasn't involved in my life Mm -hmm. really at all. You're you're not going to be a good father and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know – I've, I've been dead set on proving all those things wrong. I, I want to be a better mm-hmm. person than what, you know, the people who say that I'm not going to be, Yeah, you know? So, um, yeah, that I, I there's a lot of stigmas that that's a, attached to being a foster child. And that's actually one reason why I started the podcast was because I wanted, I actually originally started this podcast because I wanted to interview other people who were in foster care and I wanted to bring more awareness around, around the foster care mm-hmm. system but as time went on, it just kind of, it was difficult to find those kind of people. And I'm like, you know what? Why not expand the podcast to other things also? So that's, that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. And it's so interesting because like, um, there's so many people that I'm like, I'll, I'll invite on the podcast and they're like, I don't, I don't have anything interesting to talk about. And I'm like, we could find something. Yeah. We can find something. Yeah. But I guarantee you, if I just started asking you about the nonprofit you worked at, we probably wouldn't have got into you being in foster care. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. It, uh, I, I find that once, when people have the ability to talk about themselves, I uh, have always wanted to be, I don't know if you've ever seen it on like social media where there are people that'll like stand at 
the corner and they say, tell me your story. Oh, I just yeah. like, I, I want to do that one day and just be like, park right outside Michigan Ave and just my little sign, see who stops to talk to me. You should, you should do yeah. it. You should totally do it. And then, re- and <laughs> yeah. then record it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be um, <laughs> when I have time <laughs> between, <laughs> between working f- like my full time real person adult job and yeah. doing um, the nonprofit work through the rescue. Mm. I don't really have time for anything other than that. Yeah, (laughs) I get it. Um, I work full time and then do the podcast and the podcast itself is like a job, like a full time job Mm -hmm. plus plus some. Um, Yeah, I get that. So let's talk a little bit about what you do. Um, What do you do for work? And and then we'll get into the nonprofit. I watch the news for work. Um, uh, For my job, I am an intelligence analyst. So I basically watch the news, um, I draft um, reports, um, monitoring incidents um, that could potentially impact like my, the company I work for or if we have associates somewhere um, and let them know severe weather, stuff like that. So you you watch the news so that you can prepare people or prepare the insurance company like, hey, this disaster might hit. Yeah. This tornado might hit, so it might wipe out these houses. Right. So you guys might have to pay in. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of like that. Um, and just be like, hey, these are, you know, the things that we have to be aware about. Um, okay. A big, you know, $5 word is business continuity. Mm. Um, so making sure that operations are still smooth sailing, regardless of the bumps that are, you know, weather, protests, um, so like that. so weather protests things that might like mm-hmm. covid was a huge one really um so much um between the lockdowns the restrictions um travel bans testing all of that um all of that and monitoring how does, like how does cases. that how does that affect a insurance company um well for my specific job when we had travelers overseas mm. saying like oh hey we have someone going to the uk um here's the um well one you have to be vaccinated you have to do this this and this to get into the country and then once you get into the country you have a 7 14 um one country was 21 days of quarantine before you can even leave to go do your things wow um so it was that's and, crazy. And someone has to sift through all of that information. So that's kind of what I do oh, and my okay. department does. Okay. Say, hey, here's the the TLDR version because you don't want to read through hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of pages of country policy and right, all right. of that stuff. Wow, that's interesting. I never knew that that was a job. Yeah. That's interesting. So um, by doing that, you, you watch like all the major news networks, mm-hmm. right? Like Fox news, CNN mm-hmm. and MSNBC, yeah. things and like then that. Local news as well. Okay. Um, wow. And so I, I could imagine that you're probably overwhelmed with the media. And um, <laughs> some days, some days it's, you know, the same thing on a different channel and trying to get the information without the, um, the bias of you know, either, either side, because yeah. no matter what, um, avenue you're getting your information, you're still getting it from a biased source. Correct. Yeah. I think a lot of people are starting to realize that. Mm-hmm. I mean, except for maybe the old people, they still yeah. watch. 
<laughs> they still watch the news yeah. like religiously. It's, it's very funny because they are so attuned to. Well, don't believe you. I don't believe everything you see on the internet. <laughs> but you know what? The TV told me yeah. something, so it must be true. <laughs> um, and oh, it just you know, funny. I I I think it's funny because they they hold very dearly to those yeah. um, those perceptions because just because it's on the TV or you know printed in a book. Well, if that yeah. book is, you know, 60, 70 years old and technology or science or information has changed just because that book said at the time that this right. was, you know, whatever, <laughs> doesn't mean that it accurately reflects what we know now. I had my dad tell me just recently about something. I can't remember what it was, but he was like, "It's a, it was a study from the 1960s. And I'm like, Dude, bro, that was the 1960s. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe any study that took place in the 60s. <laughs> yeah between the the lack of information and also yeah when you talk about ethical studies being done um you can look at some oh of those those like some of the psychological studies that are have been done yeah um those would have never been able to be done in today's ethical standards yeah and you look back on it you go wow someone said that this was okay yeah um I had uh, Richard Prangley on the podcast uh, when I, like last year, and uh, I, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a, a local guy, and I believe in the 1960s, he was put into a mental hospital when he was like six, or yeah, six, and um, because he's special needs, and his parents were like, just didn't want to deal with him, because back then, being special needs like meant that you were like, like scum of the earth, essentially. And uh, you were just shunned. So they put him in this group home, which was like a prison for people like him in cold water. And it's hard to think that that it was in cold water, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Like that's just 45 minutes down the highway. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, he came on and shared his story and some of the things he went through and some of the like tortures and stuff they would put him through. Like they would like electrocute him and stuff and all kinds of things. It's like, that would not be ethical today. Yeah. That, um, that prison in, shut down now. In Mount Pleasant, uh, there is a Chippewa tribe, tribal lands, and there's actually a residential school up there too. And you can, I mean, just driving by it a couple of times, I've stopped and I've looked at it and go, man, the things that they must have done in those buildings <laughs> to those yeah. children, because that's what they did. Yeah. Um, it's it's really heavy to look at those buildings and just feel all of that. Yeah, it's it's intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very intense. It's kind of like going to a place where like you know something horrific happened mm-hmm. or like a or you go somewhere that's like a war took place and you're like, "Wow, this is where it happened." Yeah. Like, this is insane. There's like a feeling, a yeah, feeling you there's, get. There's and um so in December, I went down to Kentucky for the um, for to help with relief efforts for those tornadoes, and just seeing all of the devastation, mm. I was just by myself, and n- there's not like good enough words to describe how that feels, and some people kind of had a little bit of an inkling of that, you know, when all of the shortages started happening in COVID, like during COVID, um, when you'd walk in the grocery store and it's completely empty. Yeah. And there's that, that uneasy feeling of this is not, this is not how it's supposed to look. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, this is 
not something that um, is typical, but not that that's completely related, but I just no, thought it, of it. It definitely is related because you're going into a place that's completely devastated. It's been hit by tragedy it's mm-hmm. so hard that it impacts a whole community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and kind of like COVID, you know, I mean, it was... I guess, like, on a smaller scale, as far as, like, devastation-wise, like, it, it wasn't just going, like, I, I gotta be careful, because I don't want to, like, insult anybody that right. lost somebody. Like, I'm not trying yeah. to, you know, undermine any of it's that. It's a very, um, very personal experience for people who have yeah. gone through it, but if I'm largely unaffected, then I can't emotion, like, relate emotionally or, you know, psychologically to someone who's right. experienced that loss. Right. So, it it is... Yeah, I mean, because, like, for me personally, I got COVID, mm-hmm. and I was fine. But somebody else could have gotten and, and died, yeah. and it's very tragic. Um, but as far as, like, affecting a whole community at once and it killing a majority of the people or destroying homes and stuff like that, like that that tornado that went through Kentucky completely, like you said, flatlined yeah. cities. And uh, I couldn't imagine, like, just feeling completely hopeless because mm-hmm. – I mean, everybody's livelihood and everything's just gone. Yeah. And there's no um, quick fix. It's not like, okay, yeah. well, we're going to just... Wait 14 days. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be like, all right, you know, in a month, we'll have a brand new home or anything. You know, right. there are people that are still cleaning up. I have, I made friends with some people down there who are still, I mean, we're in April now, five months later. They're still repairing and rebuilding. Wow. Just clearing out some of that debris. Wow. That's so crazy. I remember when I lived in Charlotte, when I was younger, uh, a tornado came through and wiped out like a bunch of houses and stuff. And I knew somebody who um, had their house wiped out. And I just remember thinking like, wow, like what would that be like? Yeah. It's so crazy. Like not having a house. Yeah. And you do? One, one day it's there and the next Next gone. second, yeah, it's gone. Along with it's in the wind. Every <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad joke. <laughs> um, that but is yeah, a bad joke. Um, and knowing that your entire life, you know, if you've lived in that house 20, yeah. 30 years, you have all of your memories. Yeah, pictures, um, pictures, yeah. Um, like awards, down to like clothing like my favorite hoodie or you know my child's first um christmas outfit or yeah whatever sentimental stuff that you can't replace sure you can go get a new house and you can go get new couches and furniture you can't replace some of those memories yeah what did a lot of those people do when um did, were they put up by like uh, different organizations, like in hotels? Um, so some of them. So there was a a state park um, that had lodging. So the state park opened up and said, "Here, residents, you can come here." And they actually allowed pets, so that was really great. Hmm. Um, just a little bonus because um, I can't imagine one going through something like that and then being told, like, "Oh, we have you know assistance." for housing but you can't have any animals wow which is really really ridiculous because yeah what do you do in tragedy right it's not like Um, you can board your pet right because and you know you have people who have like have a dog or two cats or four cats or five cats like me um (laughs) how many cats do you have i have five (laughs) um 
Are you a and crazy cat lady? I, I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> what what defines a crazy cat lady to you? Um, Six? Mm, I, for me, um, there is, um, there's a point of ability to care yeah. versus amount that I have. Mm. So I could very easily just have one cat and yeah. say, I can spoil you rotten and, I have five cats, but if I had five cats, and this is where you don't want to, uh, poor people can have pets too. So it's a very, very fine line. Just like with children, you know, you can have so many animals, but if you don't have the ability to care for them properly, yeah, um, that's to me when that becomes an issue because it's not so much a, I want to have a good home. It's a, I need these things around me yeah. so that I have some type of whatever void in my life is filled right. through the animals. And we've it, dealt with like hoarding situations where, say. you know, we're pulling 30, 40, 60, 70 cats out of, cats out of a house. Oh, wow. um, and those people, um, it is a mental illness. Yeah. So you have to be very delicate. Um, and say, you know, this isn't sustainable and it's not healthy for you and it's not healthy for these animals. How do they feed them? That's what I um, want to know. Like, how can you afford that? <laughs> um, a lot of them sacrifice for their own needs. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, if they, um, just like in any other hoarding situation, um, they will spend oh, thousands and thousands of dollars for items. Yeah. And then have like when's the last time you ate oh like three days ago and you know i have these crackers that are you know three months expired that oh, i dug man. out of the trash um that's one specific episode of hoarder that i saw um <laughs> that show gives me anxiety it does it <laughs> and then you have to realize that um it's also kind of um not really glamorized but it is very, very clearly made for television and yeah. it is made for the viewer experience, not necessarily the overall well, you're um, complexity. Yeah. You're exploiting people that have a mental illness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is kind of interesting though yeah. that people will live that way. Mm -hmm. It, it, I don't know, especially when you see like a house full of like animals and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, how does somebody like, how do, how do you do that? And it's it's crazy to know that, like, people will live that way and then have those pets and they'll die. The pets will die and not even know, they won't even know they're yeah, there, um, which is crazy. So <laughs> I, I chuckle because I have gone through and I've seen some really, really horrific things. Um, we had a property where this guy had 35 cats in his house and he died in that house. The guy did? Mm -hmm. Um. And obviously after that, there's no caretaker anymore. So the neighbor contacted us and said, hey, there's this old man and he had all of these cats and we don't know what to do um, because the family had a final solution for the animals that wasn't... Um, Euthanize? Um, Euthanasia is humane. Um, they were not going to go that route mm. and made it very clear that either we come and get the cats or they were going to handle it themselves. Oh, wow. And we don't like those situations. Um, 
because when you have a hostile um, community member, you're we're, you're working on a timetable, mm-hmm. so you have to get those animals out as fast as you can. But walking into that house, that guy lived and died there, and he had been there sixty something years, and you could definitely walking through that house, you could see it. But towards the end of his life, he wasn't able to take care of them. And none of them were fixed, so they were just having litter oh, after wow. litter after litter because that's what you did yeah. 60 years ago. You didn't pay anybody to fix your animal. Right. They were just cats or yeah. just dogs or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it was just, you know, having the experience of, like, finding deceased animals in a property, knowing that they didn't get the care that they deserved. But that guy also needed help and didn't reach out or didn't know that it was a problem. Yeah. Um, because those were his, he died alone in that house and he had one relative that lived kind of far away. Um, those animals were his support system and they were his reason to get up. And he knew all of them by name. All the neighbors knew <laughs> that he knew all of them by name. And, you know, talking to one of the neighbors, like he would just sit out on his porch from sunup to sundown talking to all these cats they would like sit on the steps and he would wow. feed them and um that's crazy yeah that is so crazy i couldn't imagine having that many pets <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i have three and i feel overwhelmed sometimes yeah it's a lot it is uh you have five so that i do you got your hands full too and then i have two ferrets wow Ferrets are kind of cool. Yeah, they're they interesting. Are, they are very, <laughs> they are very mischievous. Um, and uh, one time I was late for work um, because I couldn't find my keys, and I, had I knew set, you were going to say uh, that. Yep, I had set them down, and I was like, I just, I just had them, and um, one of my ferrets, her name is Bones. Um, I actually. Both of my ferrets are rescues, um, and I found bones in an apartment complex when I was trapping a mom, a feral mom, and her kittens. And I found her the day before Halloween, and she (laughs) was literally skin and bones. She had been abandoned. Someone, you know, adopted her as a young ferret or got it as a gift or whatever. And ferrets are kind of smelly, and if you are not prepared for actual care of them, Mm. Um, it can be really intense really fast or they moved out and decided that they didn't want her anymore so they just threw her outside wow and that's that's the solution that a lot of people think is just appropriate is just throw, just it, throw outside. it outside they'll survive um, yeah they'll, they'll survive they'll they're yeah. animals they'll do it the you know people do it with rabbits all of the time because they're rabbits they'll just eat grass mm. but if that rabbit's yeah. never been outside that's that gonna, rabbit, it, it's just going to starve to death, and it's yeah. a very slow, agonizing death, and that's not fair for them. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, now let's talk about your uh, the um nonprofit that you work for. Did you found found it? Um, found, no, found. Um, find, I found. am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Founded. Um, no, found, no. I am just a volunteer. Um, for Save by Zade. Okay. Um, but I do a lot of the behind the scenes. Um outreach work so um i do a lot of the trapping for tnr which is trap neuter return mm-hmm. um and see if i say does trap neuter vaccinate return so that we're reducing disease population 
or mm. disease in the populations of these colony cats. Um, because removal's never really the goal for these established colonies. Um, it's returned them because that's their home. That's their stomping grounds. They right. they know food source. They know protection. They know all of that. And in the in some cases, removal is necessary. But if you have someone who's you know feeding this colony of cats on like a farm or right. just residential, fixing those cats stops the problem, and that colony will over time decrease. Yeah. That's kind of important. Yes. Yeah. Um, because even if you, so feral cats are a pro, a problem for every community. Um, just because you don't see them doesn't mean that there's not stray cats. I live in downtown Lansing, and every night I see a new different cat. Really? Mm-hmm. I have two consistent feral community cats that come around to my house. Do you um, feed them? I do. <laughs> That's I why. Do. <laughs> I, well, I feed them at, and they come around because they know that my house is a good house to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're eating at my house, I can keep tracks, tabs on them and keep track of them and monitor, you know, their coats, um, their overall health um, and make sure that, you know, even if I don't see him for three weeks, he comes, one of them, he uh, comes and goes as he pleases I'm pretty sure that he is someone's indoor-outdoor cat, but um, he does have a tipped ear. So um, one of the universal signs for a feral cat that's been fixed is, like, so you have your cat's ear, mm-hmm. and it looks like this, but tipping is just move, removing the top part, so it's a straight line across. Yeah, That doesn't happen in nature, so it's a universal sign that you see a cat that's walking outside, that cat's already been fixed. It might have a community caretaker, but it also might just be a feral cat that's part of a colony. I never had that happen. I, or I never, I didn't have my ear, my my ears, my cat's <laughs> ears tipped um, when they got fixed. So that is um, typically used for cats that go outside. Oh, okay. It's not a common practice for like dom- indoor. Indoor, I say domesticated, but all okay. cats are domesticated. Yeah but non-feral cats. So okay. there's a difference between an inside-outside cat and a feral cat Yeah. and stray cats. So stray cats are just cats that don't have homes. Feral cats are completely unsocialized. They may or may not come around to like a couple of community members, but they're not like social butterflies. Mm. The two cats that come around to my house, they're completely feral. They sit on the sidewalk when I put the food out and they wait for me, they they wait for me to go inside my house. They hear my door lock. Wow. And then they come up. And then I <laughs> I peek like a little creeper through the window watching them. Oh, um, that's funny. Um our cat, the fat cat that yeah. you've seen, she <clears throat> she showed up in our garage one day. Um it was like dead winter and she was a kitten. I'm like, where did she come from? Like somebody just yeah. drop her off outside. If she was a kitten, like she was probably only like a couple weeks old. Yeah. Um, That's so insane. And she just like showed up in our garage. Yeah. It's strange. So I did she have her eyes opened? Yeah. Yeah. She was old enough to like where she could walk around mm-hmm. and stuff. So I don't know if she just walked and wandered into our garage yeah. or if somebody threw her in our garage. Yeah. So like a two week old kitten would be like. Yeah. No, this. she was bigger yeah. than that. Yeah. She was probably 
I don't know, five weeks, something like that. And that's, you know, one of the biggest things that we ask people is, you know, they say, oh, I have a kitten. Okay, so that is a term that is very loose. Is it (laughs) itty bitty umbilical cord kitten? Is it, you know, (laughs) six months old and you think that it's a kitten (laughs) because it's tiny? (laughs) Um, And so when we get community help requests, that's one of the things that we ask because people will be like, oh, this cat showed up. We think it's a kitten, and then we come and show up, and it's like a full-grown adult (laughs) tomcat. Because people see a cat, and they think, oh, automatically that um, it it it's unowned or you know needs assistance. What made you so into animals? (laughs) Did you have Um, animals growing up? I mean, obviously you were in foster care, so you couldn't really get too attached to an animal. What was? Um, I have always just really loved animals. Um, there is, there's something about not having a voice or, you know, being able to advocate for myself and relating to an animal who can't tell me how they're feeling or, you know, whether they're sick or hurt or hungry. I mean, some cats will just scream at you to feed them. My cat but, does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my cats does too, and he uh, he wears his emotions on his face, and it is very funny. <laughs> but um, I just relate really, really deeply to the fact that these animals need someone to advocate for them. Um, just like I needed, you know, children need someone to advocate for them them because they don't maybe have the words to articulate what they're feeling or anything like that. And for animals, it's even less so. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's interesting that you say that, you know, that you feel like, did you feel like you had somebody advocating for you when you were in foster care and stuff? Not really. No. Um, that, that brings me to like a saying that like I hear all the time that be the person that you needed when you were, mm-hmm. when you were a kid or whatever, something like that. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting that you apply that to, to animals. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly out of spite. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, it's almost like a defining characteristic that I am selfless and compassionate to a fault um, because there were people in my life who were less than that. Mm. So I will pour everything that I have into animals. And I really love feral cats because they have very firm boundaries and they will enforce them. That even <laughs> even if I am trying to do something good for them, like getting them fixed or getting... So a lot of the colony cats that we have come in with parasites or disease or sickness and trying to medicate them is a challenge all in of itself. And even though I'm, they don't know that I'm doing something good for them, they're still scared of me. But I know that what I'm doing makes their life better. Yeah. And if they end up still hating me, then they end up hating me, but at least they're <laughs> healthy. Um, and then they can continue leaving, living a quality life. Yeah. It's interesting when you first get an animal, like our cat who showed up, you know, we went through that whole process of um, like uh, feeding her and like her having to trust us. But it's funny how like how quickly they kind of adapt. We're like, mm-hmm. okay, this person has good intentions. Mm-hmm. This person doesn't want to hurt me. Yeah. Um, one of my, my favorite community cat, his name is Rupert. 
Oh, I named him. And he has, uh, over the last two and a half years that I've lived at my house, um, he has slowly come up the driveway. And he still will sit under the bush, like, by my porch. <laughs> and he knows, he knows my schedule. So he knows when I come home from work. He knows when I leave. Um, he'll just pop up. And it is the funniest thing watching him because he's still, I cannot touch him. Um, but he'll come running down the street with his tail up and then he'll get to me and he'll hiss and, you know, everything. And then he'll just be like, all right, feed me. I know you're here. Feed me. That is funny. Um, and he just, he knows my routine. I kind of know his, um, <laughs> I know that he'll show up for food, um, but when weather's crappy like this, I have shelters on the back of my yard and just seeing him in there, it it's relief because I know that he's there and he's safe. Yeah. That's interesting. That's so cool that you're passionate yeah. about them. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that more people saw them for what they are, which are they're just trying to survive. Yeah. I think cats are cool. Me too. I mean, I used to not really like cats until we got our cats, and I like them. They're really cool. They're really interesting. Like, it, it's kind of funny how each cat has their own, like, personality in a sense. It's like our our cat, um, Ella, the fat one, she um, she had I, – I call her a little gangster because uh, she's from the streets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I think I, I call her, like, little E sometimes too, but – um. Yeah, no, it's interesting, like, some of their behaviors and the way they, I don't remember I was going with this, the way they act. Um, yeah, I don't remember I was going with that. <laughs> yeah. I just, like, my thought just went away. Yeah, um, so I have a wide spectrum of personalities in my little clan. Um, one <laughs> of my kitties, um, his name is Mr. Grumpykins. Um, I actually trapped him from a community member's porch. Um, she had seen him eating rocks in her driveway. Mm. So he he was really old. He's the vet said that he was just old AF. Um, <laughs> on, on the little on the little chart, it just says old with like a, an underline. Oh, that's funny. Um, and he was a community cat that just roamed the streets, um, and he was in not great health um, when uh, I ended up. Uh, they contacted us to rescue and it was only a couple of blocks from my house. So I went and trapped him and we ended up removing almost all of his teeth. So he has like one half tooth <laughs> and just gums. And he was, he was mean. And over time he had to be on um, antibiotics for 14 days after his surgery. Um, and that was, that was so much fun. But after, <laughs> after he, got his medication and he started feeling better his personality changed and over that time I did um very very slow transitionals with him just all right all of the food comes from me here are positive reinforcements and then touching him was like an accomplishment and then he just never left my house. Wow. So um, he's your cat now? Yes. He uh -huh. is um, the resident busybody. Um, <laughs> he always has to know, like, what I'm doing. That's funny. Um, he, he, he's my little security officer. He'll sit and watch <laughs> in the window. And I know if, like, there's a car coming down the street because he'll, like, be like, all right, someone's coming. 
but he had to be he had to learn that not all humans were trustworthy mm. and i can't imagine some of the stuff that he's been through um he does have some scarring on his face that um from maybe fighting or maybe he was had something thrown at him but he's very even now i've had him for over a year and he's still very skittish on like fast movements mm. but he's an absolute like buddy if i'm watching tv he's up on my lap and he's like all right we're <laughs> living the good life that's awesome um, could you imagine if you had like a camera attached to him while he was like <laughs> out there wandering the streets like what I, his life was like yeah. i i wonder that sometimes um like, what did you go through yeah <laughs> And you can, some of the cats, you can just see it on their face. Um, I bet if you knew some of the things that he went through and some of the things he did, you would be like, I don't know if I want you as a pet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, You murdered some animals. (laughs) Oh, um, so I have, uh, there's an opossum that comes up at night and Grumpykins hates that guy. Like it is on (laughs) sight if he sees him Um, because he just, and I'm sure that, they he probably got into a fight with an opossum or a ra- if there's a raccoon on my porch he's gone <laughs> um and we, so we actually have a kitty in our rescue right now that was attacked by a raccoon and wow. um he suffered some really really bad injuries and these people saw it happen they contacted us and it was like 10 30 at night wow. so we rushed out to the emergency hospital at msu and they got him seen and thankfully, he survived his injuries, but it was really, really bad. Um, and he actually um, completed his quarantine today. Wow. So, um, congratulations so, to him. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so, do you guys uh, just work with cats? Or do um, you work with other animals? So, we are a cat rescue. Okay. Um, I, we, we have a running joke in our volunteers that we sponsor one dog a year. <laughs> Um, for the past several years, there's been like one special circumstance or a dog, um, that a volunteer has found or, you know, whatever that, um, but we are primarily a cat rescue, um, and a ferret rescue, (laughs) um, for, for me, (laughs) um, but we don't have the capacity to handle dogs because at our shelter we don't have like dog kennels or Mm. a dog run for them to go outside right um do you guys have a location um yes we our shelter is in leslie oh wow right on main street okay wow that's not terribly far it's like 20 27 minutes okay or shorter depending on how fast i drive (laughs) (laughs) so how do you catch these cats Um, how do you trap them with uh, a cat trap. Um, so if What's you a cat trap? A cat trap, if you've ever seen, like, the box traps from, like, Tractor Supply. Oh, okay, yeah. So you can use those, but we use something called a true catch trap um, that is made by Tomahawk that's specifically designed for cats. Hmm. And then I also have um, something called a drop trap, which is, <laughs> they're very fun to use, Um if you imagine like those old cartoons where you have the <laughs> box on the stick, mm. the string on it. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those. <laughs> um, and that it, would be fun to use. It, It's <laughs> very, uh, and it's really weird to be like, oh yeah, this is fun. Um, but when you have elusive cats or injured cats, um, using that, that drop trap, it'll get them. 
um, where they might not go into a standard box trap if they're, you know, if they've been trapped before or what we've seen in colonies is they've seen, you know, everybody else trapped in this, this mm. box and they don't come back. Yeah. Um, they won't go in them. So having a, a drop trap where it's like they just go under it, um, that makes it a little easier. Yeah, that sounds like it would be very difficult. <laughs> it sounds like it, um, you definitely have to be experienced at it. Um, yes and no, because um, it it is it is very simple to operate it, but the complexity of trying to get them in it, trying to get trying to get them in it, trying to get the timing of the animals that are around. Um, for a drop trap, you have the ability to manually close it. Whereas for like a box trap, the first thing that goes in it and steps on the plates, the only thing that you're going to catch. Right. Um, so I've caught a lot of raccoons and possums <laughs> and skunks. Oh, what do you do with the skunks? How do you get um, rid of them? I I always carry blankets and towels with me and sheets. And so you cover the trap and then you just prop the door open. And then I like to take a couple big steps back, pull the blanket, and then it uncovers it. And then they like go like, oh, oh, where where can I go? And the doors open, so they just run out. And that process has worked. And <laughs> so far, I have not been sprayed, um, but I know my t- my time is coming. Oh man, yeah. Hopefully not. Yeah. Hopefully ho- not. Hopefully not. But uh, <clears throat> that is something that I I know is inevitable. <laughs> My uh, my dog has been sprayed several times by a skunk, and uh, just recently, I think it was this last winter, I uh, I used to take her running every morning before work. So we'd get up; it's real early. Nobody's nobody's out and driving. I, obviously, the neighborhood's like pretty secluded and whatnot. So I will start the run off um, with her off my leash or off the leash because mm-hmm. um, she doesn't act as crazy on the leash. Like if I put her on the leash and then start running, she's like, yeah, like digging in and dragging me. Um, but if uh, I let her run like down to the end of the street and I clip her, she's she's good and we can have an enjoyable run. Mm-hmm. But this morning, th- that morning, I um, let her off the leash and we're running. Get to the end of the street and there's a skunk. <laughs> And she sees it and she beelines for it and chases it into a fence where it's oh. it's blocked off. And yeah. the skunk just sprayed her like directly in the face. And she comes <laughs> running back over and she's like like scooting across like the the grass. Yeah. <laughs> like trying to rub it off. And I'm like, oh, there goes that run. Yeah. So we went back home. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was terrible. I, I, I hate skunks. <laughs> Not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I did catch a raccoon one time though in, in one of those traps mm-hmm. like you were saying. And uh, I was I was a little scared because yeah. raccoons can they, be yeah it can be uh, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have trapped a couple of raccoons. I love possums because they are so they're hissy but they're so chill. Yeah, um, I try. I've trapped them and I've literally just like sh- like opened the trap and like shook them out. Like <laughs> all right, go on, go. I will I won't do that for a raccoon. I'll just prop the door open. Let it go. Um, because a couple of times they've they'll come out and they're so spiteful. Um, that like one of them came out and then came at me and I was like, nope, we, we're just gonna <laughs> keep walking back. 
So how much time do you spend doing, I mean, obviously you work full time mm-hmm. um, and then you work for the nonprofit. How, how much time do you spend doing that kind of stuff? Um, so I, I work, but it's not paid. It is all volunteer. Mm. Yeah. Um, almost every hour that I'm not currently at work. Wow. Um, right now we're in kitten season. So between April to, well, actually really February to November, it's constant with babies being born, um, emergent. So on top of just like people saying, hey, you know, I can't have my cat anymore. You know, my neighbor moved or, you know, on top of like the general help requests that we get on in kitten season, it's help. I found these three day old kittens and mom hasn't come back or, you know, I have these kittens and mom died or I can't have this cat had kittens in my garage and I have a vicious dog and Mm. it's just round the clock. Right. Yeah. Cats are one of those things that like they're the population of them is just crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you literally can like just get cats for free because there's so many of them. There's so many of them and we really, really need more spay and neuter clinics. We need more affordability is um, kind of a, like a touchy subject because veterinarian offices are not out to price gouge and make money. They are a business just like a hospital is. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have human insurance for most things, whereas pet insurance is very slowly kind there's a couple of companies, but yeah, those upfront costs those vets are just trying to run their business and save animals. They're not out there to, you know, bleed people dry. Yeah. They still have operational costs. They went to school. They have just as much student loan debt as doctors do, and they get paid half of what doctors do. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy, though, because, like, I've taken my – we had a, a husky for a little while, and he got attacked. Him and my other dog – we don't have the husky anymore, um, uh, but my dog uh, that I have now – they both were attacked by a skunk. Um, my dog now got sprayed, and then mm-hmm. so did the other dog. But the other dog also got bit by the mm-hmm. skunk, like to where it was like, like we didn't realize it at first because he had so much fur. It was, yeah, like it was difficult to see, and, and he was a puppy, so he's like super active, barely would let you grab onto him. Um, but then we realized he got, you know, he had a, uh, a wound, and so we took him to the vet clinic, and it's like. MSU vet clinic's mm-hmm. like, dang, this is expensive. Yeah. And we take them to our actual vet um, a couple of days later. And obviously, we we paid for the services for right. them to get them, you know, uh, fixed, whatever they did. I can't remember what they did. Um, but then we took them to the vet, and they're like, yeah, that wasn't necessary. He just needed some antibiotics. He's yeah. fine. So, yeah, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. It was like $1,000, and it didn't need to be. Yeah, and that's where, you know, the uh, – well, just like an emergency room visit for a human That's true. is going to be a lot more expensive that is true. if you go to the ER and say, oh, you know, my throat hurts. Yeah. They're going to charge you the ER visit and, you know, your amoxicillin that you could have just scheduled right. an appointment with your doctor. That um, is true. That's but, a good point. But there, it's always better to take your animal in. Um, because there could be something underlying, especially yeah. with bite wounds. Um, yeah. Abscesses are really, really, well, they're really common. They're really, really nasty, and they can get yeah. bad really fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, 
we thought it was pretty bad, but it, it not it didn't end up being yeah. that bad. And if you've never but. seen a, a bite before, it's going to be really traumatizing to you and be like, oh my gosh, this is yeah. this horrible. Yeah. And then, you know, the ER clinic's like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is, you know, a bite wound. We've seen eight of them today. Yeah. Um, um so with the, uh, with the nonprofit that you work for, uh, Zaid, um, sa- uh, saved by Zaid. Saved by Zaid. Mm-hmm. Do they uh, allow people to adopt kit- cats or yes. kittens? Um, yeah. We do have, we have basically the adoption side, which is we have an adoption center, well, we center, um, PetSmart in, on the West Lansing side. Mm. And then we also partner with Constellation Cat Cafe ah, in East cool. Lansing. Cool. Um, so our kitties go there for adoption. And then we also put them on PetFinder. Um, and a lot of our, like, I also foster, so I'll be like, hey, my foster kitty's ready, so here, <laughs> all my friends see it, and then they share those posts, and, um. This is our foster cat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and fostering is such a rewarding experience, having also been a foster child, um, knowing that I am the one that's making the difference in the cat's life, and getting them healthy, and getting them up to up to date um fully vetted taking them to their spay and neuter appointment anything that they need to get adoptable and then going and getting them that forever home it's just um it's an incredible feeling yeah i i could imagine i i understand what you're what you're saying with that um now and the thing is with a cat too, or in any animal who gets adopted, they'll live a happy life. Like yeah. they'll be happy yeah. as, as long as they go to a good home. Yeah. Um, whereas like humans aren't necessarily <laughs> yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about on the podcast? Oh. Um, anything you want to mention? Um, well, so right now what we're doing uh, is – we're going out and with kitten season, getting colony kitties fixed and uh, fully vetted means that we fix them. We get them combo tested for like um, FIV, which is um, feline immunodeficiency virus. So feline HIV mm. um, and feline leukemia, making sure that they're healthy enough to return to their colonies. Um, and that process is... It's very complicated because it's not just so simple as people think, oh, well, just come get the cats. We don't want them back. What are we supposed to do with, because I, yesterday we got 86 messages on our Facebook page of people being like, I want, I want to rehome my cat. I want to do this. I want to do that. And rescue is literally 24 seven. Someone is either at our shelter working out in the field like after i leave here i'm going out to go trap <laughs> so wow. um and like after working today um oh my gosh like i said it is a very very busy season for us um but so like if someone were to like say oh my gosh i have this like one cat well if you don't get that kitty kitty fixed that one cat will very very quickly turn into several cats and then mm-hmm. those several cats will turn into 50 cats. So getting those animals fixed is really the, to stop the cycle is the most important thing. And that's really what we believe in is getting those kitties. Cause we do um, some, sp- 
sometimes we'll do just like sponsored surgeries where like, all right, we will pay. Please take your cat to this appointment. Wow. So that's a, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I like that you guys uh, catch the cats, get mm-hmm. them fixed, get them um, their shots or whatever they mm-hmm. they need to be healthy, and then you just let them go back to their to their their families, yeah. their friends, yeah. or whoever that they is, hang out with. That is the ultimate goal: is to just re- reunite them with their colony. Yeah. Um, because that is that's their home, that's their entire social structure, and we do do. Um, I did a farm placement last week for some colony kitties, so we took the colony kitties that we had from this property, we put them in a barn, and then there's an acclimation period with that. Um, so typically they should stay in those in the dog kennels for like three weeks, and there's like a whole setup for wow. um, feral cat placement. But when you're talking about, so in 2021 we did over 2,000 cats in just one year. Wow. And in 2020 with the pandemic, it was, and everything being shut down, it was really, really difficult for us to get spay and neuter appointments. And so we're, all all of the work that we're doing, we're not going to see those results for, you know, 10 years. But right. when you start doing population control, and there's actually, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a Judas goat. Probably not. Um, there was... Um, a an island i think it was in the philippines um, southeast asia where they had a feral goat problem (laughs) goats so they were just destroying the island yeah no competition no no predators no i mean you when you're talking thousands and thousands of goats you cannot kill them fast enough to eat them right yeah so what they were doing is they were they had little like social goats that they had like radio tagged and it took them I think 15 or 20 years to um, completely reduce that population. Now there's like 200 goats that are still left on that Island. Holy cow. Um, But it is a, is it is a process and they wiped off so many goats. (laughs) Yeah. But it took, it took getting them fixed. So they stopped breeding. It took, you know, um, authorized hunting and culling. And when you talk, about stuff like that, and people say, well, cats are an invasive species. They kill the wildlife and everything like that. Um, that's true. I don't mind them killing wildlife. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can get rid of the mice from my <laughs> yeah. house. I'm, I'm okay with yeah, it. The, the mice, <laughs> the rodents. Um, we had a lady contact us once on Facebook because she saw a cat kill a chipmunk. And she was... Appalled. Fear- she was appalled because... <laughs> This feral cat that she's been feeding for years and never bothered getting fixed, killed. How dare it kill a chipmunk? He's just trying in, to live. Yeah, in in her yard. Yeah. Um. So it just it's very um, eclectic, but yeah. doing spay and neuter is probably one of the most important ways that we can do long term population control because I think in twenty. 2017 or 2018 they estimated 140 million cats across the united states wow um and i don't know 140 million people that could take just one cat yeah let alone a feral cat who doesn't trust humans so getting them fixed and letting them live their lives out yeah is the most humane thing to do and that's really what our mission is 
That's awesome. Um, is there other nonprofits or any other um, uh, like humane societies doing the same kind of thing? Um, so Capillary does have a, a spay and neuter clinic, and they have what's called the Community Cats Program. Um, so they so you apply for it, and whether uh, so there's like an application, and then they say, okay, you're approved. Here's the use of our traps. We'll show you how to do it. And then you get X amount of appointments, and here's the days that you're going to bring them into the clinic. So you can just do it if you want. Yeah. Essentially, like mm-hmm. a volunteer type thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, and we really strongly encourage people to do that um, so that it frees up our resources to go and focus on colonies that don't have access to that program. Now, what if you catch somebody's cat? Somebody like somebody who has an indoor outdoor cat and you, so, you get them fixed and they didn't want them fixed. Um, so that has happened and it's a very uncomfortable situation to be in. <laughs> but what we do when we are trapping in a col- I'll use the current colony that I'm trapping at, for example. Um, this guy was arrested. Um, he's in prison now. He's not coming back. Um, and he, there's about 35 cats on this property and um what i did is for two weeks i set up trail cams and put them near the feeding stations and those trail cams captured every single animal that was coming and going so i have all those pictures and a couple of the kitties have collars on them so you know that hey that's not you know a kitty that we're after and then posting that in the local community group or even just going like Hey neighbor, I know that you have a indoor outdoor cat. It can you tell me which one it is or, you know, having right. those conversations before we even start trapping. Um and then once we trap a kitty, every cat scanned for a microchip. And not everybody microchips their indoor outdoor cats. Yeah. Um and then we check <clears throat> for um a spay or neuter scar and or a tattoo. So it'll yeah. if it's female it'll be on the belly. Um sometimes um, for males, they'll do it on the side. Um, so we we do do those measures um, to try and make sure that we're not, you know, catnapping someone's cat. Um, but, yeah, so we don't just, like, <laughs> go, go prowling the streets looking for animals. We right. have, like, we're content. We have a system, and then we're also um, trapping on certain properties. Mm-hmm. So if you are the neighbor and I say, hey, by the way, I'm going to come back tomorrow between this time and this time, It please keep your cat inside. And it's not a perfect system, and sometimes that has happened, but we do the best that we can with what we have. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess if you don't want your <laughs> if you don't want your cat being kidnapped, catnapped, yeah. then you should probably keep your pet inside. Yeah. Yeah. And also get it fixed. And get it fixed. Um, because when we initially intake, and so there's like an, a whole intake process into our system, we look for those signs. So getting your cat microchipped is one of the fastest ways and easiest ways for someone to say, okay, so you just take your microchip scanner and it'll beep. Yeah. So someone cared enough to have this kitty microchipped. Right. And then we can look up that information. And sometimes we've reunited lost pets. And other times it's like, oh, yeah, my cat, he's indoor, outdoor. We say, okay, here you go. Have your cat back. Right. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) 
There's that's a lot. A lot. That, that, <laughs> yeah. that is a lot. Yeah. And I can't believe you work a full-time job and do <laughs> yeah. that voluntarily. Yeah. I mean, that's really like memorable. Uh, yeah. I mean, because you spend a lot of time doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the biggest, um, so I don't, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So, um, I don't have any, um, uh, anything else to do is what I jokingly <laughs> tell people, but really that's, it's what my passion is, um, to be that advocate for the animals. That's cool. Um, and someone's got to do it. And our organization realized that there's a huge need for it. Um, do you see yourself doing it full time eventually (laughs) if it paid money um (laughs) and i say that jokingly because um every single person in our rescue is not paid we all are volunteer and everybody works around each other's schedules wow um and i wouldn't i would feel icky about being paid because every single penny that we raise (laughs) we do bottle so we have a kitten shower coming up on sunday um we also have a pop can drive so Michigan has the 10 cent returnables yeah. and people who, you know, might not necessarily donate towards, um, toward, uh, money towards animals will be like, Oh yeah, my garage full of pop cans from the Super Bowl, And <laughs> I guess you guys can have them cause I don't want to take them back. <laughs> well, that's $25 right there that you donated. Yeah. Um, so all but, of that goes towards the care of the animals. That's awesome. I love what you're doing. Yeah. Keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad that you uh, came on and talked about that. Yeah. And shared a little bit about your story. That's awesome. I, it, it, it's so interesting when I sit here and talk to people and, and as I'm talking to them, I find out, you know, they were in foster care and it's like, like I would have never guessed. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. And, um, and it's interesting to see how like, it's, I don't know your story completely, but you know, some of the things that you've gone through and how it's applied to what you're doing now and how you are passionate about Mm -hmm. helping animals and uh, providing the best life for them as possible. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. It, it, um, so one, one final thing, (laughs) the Midwest, the Midwest way to like wrap things up is like, Oh, one other thing. Um, (laughs) So compassion fatigue is really something that a lot of rescuers go through and emergency responders or people who have to deal with traumatic things over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it can be, um, you can feel burnt out because it's, it's nonstop. Um, but for me, it's okay. Well, we have to keep going because the, the animals depend on us. Yeah. And, uh, that's kind of how I just not, rationalize isn't the right word for that but that's how I process it because all of the things that I've gone through and that I've seen and in some of the really horrific cases that we've seen in just trapping the animals whether like we've had cats that have been shot that have been poisoned um, and then we go out and catch them and then we have to sit there as they suffer and we say goodbye to them and be like we're so sorry and I always feel like I failed Mm. even though Um, I had a kitty that was shot in a trailer park and I crawled under this guy's trailer to get him and we ended up having to put him down because he was so, he was really, really badly injured. It was the most humane thing to do. And I just sat there and I had him overnight and I, and I I cried a lot, but, um, being able to be that one to say, okay, 
here is the a positive human interaction as you go into whatever's next. Mm. Um, it it's a lot emotionally, but I think that having gone through the things that I've gone through, it's also made me um, better at processing those things. Whereas yeah. someone who hasn't ever experienced something traumatic um, might not be able to handle it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I definitely, and that's what I, what I was what I was getting to earlier when I said that. Do you think you would be the person you are if you hadn't gone through those things? And like for me personally, I I wouldn't change a thing that I've gone through, even though it was like very terrible. My experience yeah. in foster care and even after foster care was very bad. But I wouldn't change any of that because I feel like, yeah, there was a period of time like after like I moved out and everything where I struggled with things emotionally and trying to fi- just figure out who I am as a person. But now like I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of who I am mm-hmm. and it's made me a better person. I like, I, I know what I don't want to do mm-hmm. and I know who I want to be. And it's made me have a different perspective on life and, and people in general. Right. And it's, uh, it's helped me. I mean, uh, I'm doing the podcast because of it. Yeah. If I didn't go through that, I probably wouldn't be doing this. Right. So, you know, I think everything happens for a reason, even though it's not good. Like, yeah, you don't have to be those things. <laughs> yeah. Like, the reasons might be really crappy and terrible, but that is that's how life is yeah and life's not fair yeah it's, it's really not. not it's really not but you just got to make the best of what you have and and move on and you, you just know. have to try and make um i've never um had those like grand illusions of i'm gonna save the world um mine has always been microscopic where it's i'm going to make the immediate situation around me better mm. um i might not you know save a million people or a million cats but if i can make the situation better because i'm in it that i'm gonna go for it i love it i love that that's a good way to end the podcast (laughs) yeah i was like hey that's actually a really (laughs) great way to end it (laughs) it's a really good way to end it well kt thank you for doing this it's been a pleasure and uh hopefully i can have you back one day when my cameras are actually working I apologize again for that. So for the viewers, sorry that there wasn't a two camera system, but you you know, it's still on video. Yeah, it's so. life. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. And you get a full view of what the studio looks like. So all right. Well thank you for doing yeah, this. Of course. All right. All right. Bye. <laughs> it's like an awkward hang up. <laughs> I know. Bye. <laughs> Bye.